0: Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. You can turn to Colossians chapter 2 because we're going to read through the whole chapter today. You know, I've, I've been loving these services that we're having because it's, there's been a lot of interactive things going on, a lot of words. You know, last week we had some amazing worship. Jimmy and Rachel were launching them out. <clears throat> um, and I just got to thinking about what what this week looks like. And I wanted to circle back to a message that I did I guess it's about two months ago now, you know, like I haven't done any traditional series. For years I would do series and stay on a topic and really unpack that topic and, and try to incorporate it, you know, during the week. And, and um, so it seems like over the last few months we've basically just been bouncing around, you know. I think they've been really good. I've really enjoyed the freedom within it. You know, from a week-to-week week describing and just kind of following the Lord in that, but then also all the interaction that we've been experiencing. But anyway, I felt like this week well, I wanted to jump back and revisit a topic that I preached on a couple of months ago. And the message, actually, if you want to watch it online on our church YouTube channel, um, which we stream live now on our YouTube channel because a lot of people that aren't on Facebook. You can also watch live on YouTube now on Sunday mornings, and then it stays up for the playback as well. But anyway, there's a message called How to Receive Revelation, and I basically walked through the entire first chapter of Colossians, and um, several people responded. So if, it, just to refresh your memory, and I posted it last night if you watched it, if you went back and watched it to refresh, I really would recommend after this, if you didn't go back and watch it, go back and watch it this week just to because kind of, I feel like it's going to tie together. And it will probably end up being a whole study on Colossians that we put together as a series, and we'll email that out to you when it's, when it's ready. But, but in that, I started off in Ephesians, and I just really felt like my prayer for the body of Christ is that we would be, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know our calling in him, his calling in us that specifically that was the idea that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And so walking through Colossians 1, one of the main points that came out of it, before I get into Colossians 2, I just want to set the stage, but one of the main points that came out of that is you have eyes in your head and you have eyes in your heart. The eyes in your heart, and I don't mean, you know, you cut open and inside that little blood pumper in there, you've got eyeballs in there. I'm talking about you have the capacity to the deep, in the deepest part of who you are to perceive spiritual things, to perceive it. It's how you look at God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you can see in visual, you can see things with your eyes, but you ever, you ever, law, and you, you just kind of, everything just kind of goes, you're not, you're staring off into space, but yet you're seeing things, right? Now you can imagine with your mind, but when your heart begins to perceive spirit, And I'm not really talking about some kind of charismatic, open vision experience. I mean, if it turns into that, that's fine, whatever, we're not seeking that. But it's more about you get a concept that's spiritual, and it's it's just there. It's complete. You see it. It brings peace. You understand something that you didn't understand before. That's where revelation happens. That's where you interact with God. It's where you hear from Him. It's where you see Him. And that's my prayer, that the eyes of our heart are enlightened. And that's what it takes for your eyeballs and your head to see is you need a light. The more light you see, the more clearly you see, the better that you see, you know. Or as you get older, the further away the better you see. I don't know, you know. I don't I I think our eyes and our heart do the same thing. They they dull because we don't take time to perceive the Spirit of God with the eyes of our heart. And it's not really a mystical thing. The way that you do it is you get in, you know, one way that you do it is you get into his word. And so here's the point of what I want to happen for you, and you integrate into your Bible study, because today's pretty much a Bible study of Colossians 2. But you read, and some people think that you got the Word of God, and that's it. And the more knowledge you gain from the Word of God, and better understanding you have of the Word of God, the more whole and the more complete you are as a Christian, and and it's the Bible alone, sola scriptura, only scripture. Except that, The whole goal of getting into the Word and reading those written words is so that it would become alive to you and become spirit to you and become something that you can actually build your life upon. The spirit comes alive as you engage the Word. So you start reading the Word with the eyes in your head, and hopefully the eyes of your heart start to grasp something. And you probably know what I'm talking about. You've all had these times where you've read the Word, You got your Bible open and you read something and all of a sudden this phrase stands out, right? And it's like, ooh, I need to really dig into that. And so you get your concordance out or you jump online and you, what does it mean in the Greek and what's the tense there and what's the application? And And you get stuck on one word for like an hour. Anybody else do that? It's like one word. And then forever on, you remember that and that word means something to you. And it's something that you actually, it affects your life in such a way that you make decisions based on that moment where you un- gain understanding beyond just the written word of how that word applies to your life. Phrase, passage, concept, whatever it might be. It might be a paragraph that we're talking about, but it's still something that's beyond just the written word. And it's not just a principle that you apply, it's a spiritual thing that gives you life. It's something that is installed in your thinking and in your mind and in your heart that will actually help guide your decisions and your choices. On a level where you don't even think about it. Are you with me? So, when I read the Word, I, I'm not trying, it, it's like it happens no matter what. It always happens. When I crack open that Bible, whether it's online or whatever, and I start reading it, it comes alive to me. It really does. And now I know that most of us have had times where we were like, oh, the Bible just is stale to me. It's boring to me. It's dead to me. Well, you're really describing where you are with the Lord, not the Bible. You're not describing where God is. You're describing, this is my, my relationship with the Lord right now is dead, stale, and boring. Now, I get it. You're reading through Leviticus and who begat, who begat, who begat, who, and all that kind of stuff. That gets a little stale, but there's still meaning behind that. So anyway, let's, keep, let's jump into Colossians here, and let's watch how it works, and uh, you know, we'll do this together. So Colossians, Colossians, you know, the old question, if you were stranded on a desert island with only one book of the Bible, which one would it be? For me, it would probably be Colossians or Hebrews or Romans, but depending on where I'm at that. But, but, I'm, but this book is phenomenal. And if you really kind of sit down within where they are... Uh, you, gain, you, know, you could not know anything about Jesus and read Colossians 2 and walk away, and if you just memorized and believed what it says about Jesus in Colossians 2, have a better Christology than probably most Christians on the planet. In other words, an understanding of who Jesus really is out of Colossians 2. It is absolutely phenomenal, the picture that it paints of who he is. So we're going to read through this together. Now, here's the other point. Sometimes people read the Bible and they feel like, well, I don't know enough and I don't know who he's talking to because if I'm supposed to understand audience and context, I don't know who he's talking to. And I don't know what these points are. Colossians 2 is a good example of this because there is some nuance of who Paul is talking about and it is helpful to know about what's going on in the church of Colossae. But you don't have to know that stuff because it can apply to today as well. So when you read Scripture and you feel like, I, I, I need to be more um, academic in my approach here, you know, you may take the time to do that, but don't disqualify your ability to understand because the, really the biggest goal when you dig into a book like this is not so much I want to know what the Bible says as much as it is I want this to come alive for me. Last point, then we'll jump in. In the first message in this series... I talked about the idea, and the homework was read through Colossians 1 and write the concepts out that stand out to you. So you read through it as if you're reading it to understand it in such a way that you can explain it to someone else. And if you do that, you're not necessarily trying to memorize what it says. You're you're seeking to understand it in such a way that you get the concept of what it's saying that you can then turn and simply explain it to someone else you with me? And a few people did that homework. um, And the the homework, there's a blog along with it as well. But um, I think the link to the blog is in the YouTube video, How to Receive Revelation from God, uh, that outlines the homework. If it's not, we'll go back and make sure that that blog link gets in there. But So again, it's the same kind of thing. You want to read through this in such a way where you want to walk away with it, walk away from it having had an experience with the Spirit of God, understanding better who Christ is, but then also you can conceptually explain to somebody else. Because really what you want to do is conceptually explain it to yourself. right? All right, ready? So Colossians 2. And this is Paul. All right. Now, for me personally, when I sit down, read the Word... You want the environment right. You don't want to be distracted. You don't want to feel rushed. You don't want to feel like you're in a hurry. You know, I always try to get comfortable, take a deep breath. <clears throat> and, I, and I'm not approaching it from a mental, like an academic perspective. I'm approaching it as if it's like, you know, this, this, is, this is a painting of Jesus. It's letters, but I want, to, I want to gaze at this portrait of Christ to gain appreciation out of the art that I'm about to engage here. So, you know, imagine yourself sitting in a museum and you're standing before a masterpiece of one of your favorite artists and you're appreciating the art of it. That's what we're doing when we engage the word. We do want to understand the words, but you, you guys remember those magic pictures, the magic 3D pictures in the mall and everybody'd be standing in the mall looking cross-eyed. And, you know, it's like, I can't see it. Oh, I see a ship, you know. You remember those? <laughs> if you didn't see those, you younger folks that never seen those. Ethan, have you ever seen one of those? man I'm telling you well, you gotta get ethan a magic picture. It will change his world but it, it's it's like that. it's like you know you, 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 these two images come together, you know so you got spirit and word and as these two images come you get a you get a three dimensional like living picture of this thing, right so when you go into the word you're looking at it as there's 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 depth here. You're not looking for secret meaning. You're not looking for secret revelation. You're just just engaging it in a way that there's more depth in there that can come alive to you. you with me? All right. I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. So Paul is kind of expressing his pastoral heart here. The conflict is inside for him, you know, and, and you see it played out a little bit more because they're being subjected. He's not in conflict with somebody over this church. That's not what's happening. It's internally. From a pastoral perspective, he's like wrestling with just where they are and what they're struggling with, and he describes what they're struggling with, and, you know, we gain a little bit of insight, but, but just so you know. And almost, it's weird, but certain mindsets, when they see struggle and conflict and some type of thing, wrestling, it's like instantly implied that God is doing something to that person to introduce an element of suffering for some kind of strange mystical purpose. And it's like, it's just not really the case. And that's a whole other topic, but let's keep going. We're in half of chapter 1. I mean, verse 1. So here we go. Um, And as for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged... I love that he mentions hearts here. Let me, let me just read and I'll go back. Uh, Being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom all are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul can get a little wordy. But if you really break this down, you, by the way, I'm in the New King James Version, if you're wondering what version I'm in. This is the New King James so let's go back here, verse 2, that their hearts. So the people that Paul is concerned with or, or you know, is, is the focus of his heart ministerially at this time is on the people in this particular city in Colossae, the church of Laodicea. And it's like he just, he's just wrestling internally. He wants the best for them. He, and what he wants for them is that their hearts would be encouraged. The word heart is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible. I think the word faith is like 400 and something. You know, the word heart, like on a subject matter, it's mentioned almost more times than any other specific subject in Scripture. Um, There's a lot of depth to it. And the heart really just refers to that core, the inner core of who you now are. It's it's like one of the biggest things that happens that the Lord does to you is He removes your old dead heart and He puts this new heart in you. And really, we're going to look at that quite a bit here. We're going to talk about the circumcision of the heart, which again, you go back even further, and I did a message on circumcision of the heart that I feel like was just really put together in a way that, that helps people understand the new nature that we are in Christ. We're going to address it a little bit here, but he's, he's wanting their hearts to be encouraged. Why? It's, it, this is like saying, I pray that your roots are encouraged. I pray that your roots are healthy. I pray the very thing that brings nourishment into the rest of the being is healthy. Is encouraged because as your heart is, so the rest of your life is. So I pray that your heart's encouraged, being knit together in love. Again, there's that unity thing that Jesus prayed for, which we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. And attaining to all the riches and full assurance of understanding. Now, this is kind of an allusion to where this particular church is. There's a lot of there's a lot of Gnosticism in this area. There's a lot of Jewish mysticism. There's a lot of local mystery religion. And if you've ever heard that term mystery religion, it was even active back then. And there's, uh, let's see, I think there was one more. I'll think about it in a minute. But um, Gnosticism worked from the mindset that the more knowledge we gain, the more enlightened we are, right? And you still see that today. People reaching, trying to reach enlightenment through. Through knowledge, what he's about to do here is build the case. He are, in chapter one he already built the case for the supremacy of Christ. Now he's going to go into and say, basically addressing a, a group of oh Greek, Greek, Greek mindset, Greek mythology, Gnosticism, Jewish mysticism, local mystery religion, all of that kind of mixed together. They were sorting through, and you got to realize Christianity's brand new. It's brand new here, and they're all trail, still trying to decide: well, Are we really going to follow this way? Because we see people you know, being beheaded and, and uh, forced to reject Christ and the Jews still running down to the temple and rejecting Jews. You know, so it's brand new. There's a lot of opportunity to reject it and go back. And they're still, sorting, they're still kind of sorting things out. You know, It's almost like Jesus is maybe another God they introduce into there. Jesus is, an, Jesus is another component of wisdom and knowledge that we can add into what we already know. So now we've got Jesus, and there's some secrets and hidden, some hidden gems of knowledge and wisdom within him. Great, This is great. We've got another source of wisdom and knowledge in our lives now. And so he's about to dismantle that mindset that their hearts may be encouraged. Uh, let, let's see and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of the Christ. Now, this is where he gets specific, in whom, so the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, the Greek mindset in the statement like that that was shaped by Aristotle and Plato that sought knowledge... And Gnostics that sought secret knowledge, their minds would have been, you telling me that all knowledge and wisdom is found in Christ. Everything that we need to know about anything is found in Christ. All of the wisdom and the secret knowledge of the entire cosmos is found in Christ? Really? He's everything? Yeah. And it's like... Those are the things that we miss in statements like this, not knowing the culture, but you don't have to know the culture because you could deduce that of your own. But it is interesting to know maybe what it would have looked like when he was talking to those people you know, in that region. But yeah, so how does that relate to your life? Everything that you need in your life is in Christ. Amen? All right. Let's keep going. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet yeah, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. So he's recognizing you're doing a good job of facilitating and organizing. You know, there's, there's kind of this now, there's this attack that the early church didn't organize as church. Yeah, well, they did. I mean, they, they had church and they sought to grow them as much as they could. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So when I was preparing for this message, this particular phrase stood out to me, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Man, we need this. We need this in the earth today, especially with all that's going on, just all the division, all the crumbling of systems and the... You know the, the reframing of everything through a political lens, and all the all the stuff that we see that's being subject that we're being subjected to. Is, you you know you kind of feel like you got to pick sides all of a sudden, and then you're just like, well, I don't want to pick sides because I don't want this, and and, and 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 you you know it's like let me just let all of that stuff go, bring it back to Christ within me, and then live from there. So. This is what, you know, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, we have to stay rooted with it. you with me? We need some steadfast, general faith in Christ. People are going through an identity crisis right now. All that's going on, the whole world is going through an identity crisis. Well, what does this mean, or what do we now, or... What does the church mean? And Americans are freaking out because it's like, well, we've never been told we couldn't have church before. Oh, my gosh, the devil's running the country now. We can't meet. Come on. Everybody's just trying to figure things out right now, you know, and it's like and I'm not looking for a new normal. I'm just looking at let's not forget who we are in him as we proceed. Even if we have to make adjustments, whatever, what, who cares? The Spirit of God cannot be contained in no form, no form, any form. All right, so as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so you know, the the warning to in Hebrews that we see is don't go back down to the, don't reject Jesus and go back down to the temple and start making sacrifices again. There was a warning to don't leave the faith. Don't mix this stuff in with what Christ has accomplished. Don't leave the faith. Don't enter back into your sacrifices and legalistic system. It's Christ and Christ alone, and that's it. And he's doing the same thing here. He's reassuring in their culture and in their minds. No, it's Christ. Christ is all. He is everything, and he is all that you need. But what you don't realize is is that once you are in him and he's in you, there's way more going on than you ever even tried to seek in those mystical religions that you were involved in before. You know, the new age, this is, there's another phrase here I'm going to get to. So, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. In the faith, rooted and built up in him. Amen. All right, so let's keep going here. Colossians 2:8, "Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Again, he's bringing it back to Christ. Probably where this would apply to us the most these days uh, would be with the phrase, "The universe brought this to me." or, The universe is organizing things for me. Do you have any friends that are kind of into that new age type mindset, and it's like they think that the universe is doing things for them? Like that's an actual phrase. The new age is big on this. It's like, let me put out there my vibes, and the universe will respond to me. Well, it does because God designed it to, but the universe was created, and there's an intelligence even behind that. You know, so it's kind of an animist type thing. There's spirits in everything. There's the tree is alive, the frog's alive, the rock's alive. We're all one, and we're all kind of, as we grow in our, our that's the mindset. As we grow in our collective knowledge, we all become, we step into our godhood. And this is actually in, started to kind of slip in even into Christianity and there's kind of a universal mindset. You know, and the word Catholic actually means universal. There's kind of these mystical Catholic, Catholic doctrines that are kind of starting to slip out into some of uh, Christian thought in the sense that Here's the mindset that because Christ is all and in all, and everything was made by him, for him, and through him, that what that means is, is that Christ universally is in everything that exists. And so what we're all doing is we're going through this collective Christ consciousness raising, and we're all really going to realize that we're Christ is in us, and we're all becoming God. And we're just all God, and we're just all becoming gods. And, you know, then it just there's probably a more eloquent way to say that, but it's like that, that's the mindset in a lot of people's thinking right now and the conclusions that they're coming to. But that's what he was warning about back then. You're not a God. You're not going to become a God in the sense of God, the one and only. Are you with me? I think there is an aspect of us that we don't really know what we are, I think the kind of being that we are and even will be in eternity is far more amazing than we can even imagine, but not like some kind of mystery religion that says, go get you a bunch of wives, because however many wives you have, when you die, you become a god in the afterlife, and you get a planet per wife. Does that sound familiar? Was that, is that the Mormon? Mormons think that, right? No, I'm pretty sure it's the Mormons, yeah. All right, say focus. Focus. You don't like the planet per wife thing? (laughs) It's weird. Anyway, so again, it's about Christ. Don't be deceived by all these things. And there are people watching online. There's people maybe even in this body that are reading books, and it's like, oh, well, I'm finding... I grew up in church, and I never heard this, and this is pretty cool, and let's check this out, let's maybe go explore this. That's fine, explore it, but realize Christ is the center. All right, so, for in him dwells... These two phrases here, these two verses, to me, are probably the most underappreciated passages in the entire Bible. I think if you grasp the truth and the identity aspect of these next two passages... It changes everything about your understanding about who God is, who Christ is, and who you are in Him. Every, and it, and it, for just in my thinking about Christ, probably because of how I focus so much on in Colossians from the beginning, this is just, it's like a tent post in the ground of my understanding, and it is so core. But, so verse nine, for in Him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness. Of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. It's like a Jesus sandwich and you're in the middle. So, in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You're in Him and He's the head and principality and power, right? You're in Him. Would you mind shutting that door back there? You're in Him. He is everything, He is above all, right? He is the most powerful. And you're in Him, and by the way, He is still the most powerful. It's like conceptually that, like, so when when I do that, when I kind of rephrase it and I repeat it, but I say it in different words, I'm doing it so that my own heart understands conceptually what it's saying. I want to say back out, and that's kind of this, that's kind of like personal Bible study blends into ministry, blends into preaching. It's like. That's what you're doing. You're just taking a thing, taking a concept, taking Scripture, saying it back, letting it unpack, breathing within it, not making stuff up, but just bringing it to a place where it's real to you. you know? And I pray that you do that in your own biblical study as you're reading the Word. You read something, say it back out loud in different words. And it's not that you, you know. It's like, oh, this is the Holy Bible. I can't change the... Trend. Well, I got a secret for you. It wasn't written in English. Okay? It's okay to use different words to say back what you think it might be meaning. You don't want to create your own meaning. You're not coming up with your own secret interpretation of it. You're just conceptually making sure that you can articulate what it is saying. Because you don't speak in Old English. You speak in Modern English. All right, so, or you know, whatever language you're watching. (laughs) All right, so, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily... Christ is God in the flesh, and you are complete in Him. Now, people debate about this. Really, to say it the most simply, I don't know that we even really have the words to be able to describe what this means, but being complete in Him, it's really more of a spiritual truth. You are done in spirit. You are whole. You are in spirit what you will Be eternally forever. When you die out of this earth and pass into eternity, the part of you that passes into eternity doesn't go through any changes. It sheds the outer shell, and you pass into eternity. You move on from the place that you already are connected with Him. It's like you just shed the thing that keeps you from seeing that dimension fully right now. And you really already are connected to Him, as connected as you will be ever in the future. And I think that's that's a big part of what we miss as Christians. We still feel like that He's out there and that we're down here and we're trying to get Him to come down here. And the way that we get Him to come down here is we say the right prayer and we don't mess up. And if your behavior is good enough, then he'll come into your world. Now, we don't believe that, but a lot of believers do. A lot of Christians do. I'm telling you. Just go get, jump on social media and read posts where people are talking about God and just look. The, the I don't want to be mean, but the ignorance, the lack of understanding of who we are in Christ, it's, you know it's, 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 it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. And I really feel like that's one of the reasons God called us to start this church is just to hammer identity, who He is and who we are in Him. And that understanding that brings about a transformation in your life that's powerful and can't be taken away from you. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 11, "...in Him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands." by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So let's just focus on verse 11 for a minute. So if you're watching this on the playback or listening, pause and say back to yourself what you think that that's saying. Those of us that are watching live, when you go home and you do your homework and you go through Colossians 2, you know, again, this is one of those you could say back to yourself. What, what's really being said here? Okay, Well, there's a circumcision of Christ. I've experienced a circumcision that's not in my flesh. Then he's going to unpack it a little bit more, but um, what it's referring to is, let me keep going. I don't want to get ahead. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism. And in in a sense, baptism here is not necessarily the exercise of being dunked in the water. It's more about that you are immersed in him because we're really still talking about spiritual truths in this. He's not talking about a spiritual circumcision, a physical baptism, and then back to a spiritual circumcision. You know, it is expressed outwardly. I don't want to take baptism away from the experience in this here, but he's talking about more so being immersed into Christ. If you keep it all in context, he's not talking about going and getting dunked in water. He's talking about your baptism into the body of Christ, into Christ. So, I'll leave that for what it says, but buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So you can see we're talking spiritual. Does he go physical, then spiritual, then spiritual again? I, I'm not so sure. What he's talking about is you were dead and you were put in him and he made you new and then you now live in him, right? Right? So buried with Him, you were immersed, and you could say it this way, immersed in Him, in which you were also raised with Him through faith. Because see, the raised there is not talking about coming out of the water, is it? Again, I'm not trying to debunk the value of baptism. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to show the power of what He did within us Is we were immersed in Him into His death. He died our death. And then we were raised with him, and we now live his life. You see that? There's a power in understanding. We're not just talking about water. We're talking about his death, passing into that grave, dying in our place. Then raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses, and this is probably why I saw that picture this morning, because this is where we're going, but that's where we were. We were dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses. And the uncircumcision of our flesh, has, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And we all said, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness, right? Now, why can you be forgiven? Because he cut away from you the dead part of you that deserved to be condemned. There's nothing left within you that that can be condemned because Christ is in you now. Does that mean you should continue in sin? No. Does that mean there's not a consequence for sin? No. It just means that in him you could never be condemned. Like, Like he says in Romans 8, for those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And and he he deals with the Pharisaic mindset. He's like, we're not saying that you could just continue in sin. When you preach the gospel properly, the legalistic mind will ask you, well, it kind of sounds like you're saying we can sin. He's like, what? God forbid. No, don't you know that you're under grace? You're not under sin anymore? Like this whole circumstance, this whole spiritual surgery that happens on you, to you, in you, puts you under a completely different power, which is grace. You're no longer dead Fueled by your sin, the lust and the enticement of all of that stuff that brings death into your life. You might think mentally that that stuff is a good idea and you still engage in it behaviorally because you don't really know who you are in Christ in that area where you're tempted, which is now why we're in this whole mind renewal process to put on all of that's been described here so that you're not pulled away by all of that stuff any longer. But if you do slip back into those behaviors or mindsets, it doesn't negate the spiritual surgery that happened within you that remains. Amen? And and here's what I love. As much as we talk about this, there are people that watching, this is the first time they've ever heard that. Like, rejoice with me, that even on the playback, people are going to watch this. It's the first time they've ever heard it. Their entire Christian lives, never heard it. Never heard that within them a spiritual surgery happened that changed the kind of being that they are. Now, here's what happens. When you hear that and you see it, then God starts pulling in all these other passages, right? That, that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, so we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we are new creatures in him. It's like, oh, all these things start, wow, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's kind of like... Jenga, you pull out one piece and then it all comes together. You know, as if it fell into an organized, like reverse Jenga, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Reading the Bible is like reverse Jenga. All right, so <clears throat> I, I, I hope that you appreciate getting technical like this because it's worth it, it's valuable, and it's powerful. Um, but there's a reason I don't do it every week. <laughs> Based. Based on, anyway, all right. So, verse thirteen. <clears throat> just the second half. He has made alive. He has made alive together with him, having uh, all of their, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And I'm just telling you, we will not get away. From the people, well-meaning people concerned with behavior, not wanting us to, not wanting this message to create opportunity for sin to maybe the immature Christian that reads this and says, "Oh, praise God, I'm free. I can do whatever I want." That happens. Uh, so, before I forget, yeah, back up in verse 11 putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. The word flesh there is the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. When you look at the Greek word sarx, it has two different meanings, which is common, a word to have two different meanings, two different applications. One is this. This is sarx, flesh, your skin. Grab your skin, pinch it. That's flesh. That's sarx. There is also a spiritual body or a different kind of body that is also flesh that defined the kind of creature that you are inside. You could call it the old heart was possibly made of that flesh. It's the part of you that was dead. But it's clear when you read in the Greek, in a lexicon, the definition of Sarks, there's two. One is the physical body. Now, did God cut away from you your physical body? You still have hands and nose and right, so I mean, and it's like it's kind of basic, but you got to think it through to really understand what's being said here. What did he cut away from you? The body of the sins of the flesh. Now, I don't have time to go into it now, but if you search that phrase out, it's directly related to that heart that was condemned, that heart that was the old you that was removed, that God. Then put a new one within. The body of the sins of the flesh was the old you, the, your old nature, you could say. Your old core, your old whatever, however you want to phrase it, is taken out of you. The, and so like that root system that used to crave sin and be at enmity with God, like that root system that was within you that didn't, didn't understand Jesus until that revelation came and you realized, oh, and you're born again, you know, you think water and oil don't mix together. That old dead flesh couldn't mix with. It couldn't, it just can't get it. And that's why you watch people. I watch these debates online between agnostics and atheists and Christians, and it's like, you're not going to debate them into belief. At best, you can plant some seed and go away and pray that their heart Would allow that seed to grow, so that the Holy Spirit can then illuminate that seed, and then bring them into a relationship with Himself. Right? Like that's the best thing that you can do. You're never going to win an argument. An atheist says, "Oh my goodness, I am wrong. I better get saved." I mean, that might happen, but it's more about planting those seeds within them, and then their mind. So all of that go back to this: the the body of the flesh was your old nature, your old heart, and it was cut away and thrown away. And he put a new one in there. Amen? All right, so let's keep going. We could probably bump the air up. I see people cold. So, verse 14, Colossians 2 14. Now we get into the legal aspects. He's dealing with a spiritual thing, right? So, kind of what he does is in two, Paul says, you know, this is the church. I love you guys. My heart is wrestling for you. I want the best for you. I really pray that the eyes of your heart, same thing he prays in Ephesians, I pray that your hearts are encouraged. I pray that you have an understanding. And I pray that you remember that this is who Christ is. Christ is this and he is God. And you don't have to worry about seeking knowledge and all that stuff that's out there, all of those mystical things that have been embedded into your culture. I got news for you Christ is the answer. He is everything. He is God in the flesh. And everything, all of the things that have ever confused you about life and this world, all make sense in Him. And you can know Him. And He is, here's the thing. When you believe in Him, He changes you. He makes you like Him. He takes that dead part out of you, puts Himself within you, makes you alive in Him. God now alive in you. That's Colossians 2 thus far. And so then now He deals with the law aspect, the the physical part of you. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. Key phrase, nailed it to his cross. What was nailed to Christ's cross? We know King of the Jews, but also the accusation was nailed against. That was a traditional thing. They would nail the accusation against you onto your cross. This is one of those meditative exercises that you can do because everything that was against you, all of your law breaking, all of your rebellion against God, all of your doubt, all of your fear, all of the stuff that was against you that kept you separated from God was nailed to His cross. All of those legal accusations, He became that on that cross for you. He didn't just die for you, He died. As you and everything that was against you was nailed to his cross. How powerful is that? Every so, when you're hearing in your mind, whether it be the enemy or your mom or just your own voice internally condemning you, remember that was put on his cross. He, that was manifest in his body. All it is for me is an echo in my memory. And I got to let it go because that's not who I am anymore. He paid for that. I don't, want, I don't want to cheapen what he did by engaging still in that fear, belief, doubt, sinful behavior. I don't want to trample underfoot the great salvation that he died to give me. All of this stuff that's bringing me down, he became that. And you go back through this process and say, this is where it becomes alive. If I were sitting home and I were reading this by myself, this is where I would just probably lay the Bible down because right now in this moment, it's alive and I can see it. And it's like everything was just put into him. He absorbed it. He died for it in my place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Man, we just... We forget, you know, we forget so easy. So he frames who Jesus is. He frames who you are in him. He frames that there's nothing against you anymore. You know, this God who loves you is not holding anything against you. Then he deals with spiritual powers, you know. Then he says, having disarmed Oh, that's weird, 1-5. So verse 15, having disarmed... Remember earlier, he said that Jesus Jesus is the authority over all principality and power, right? So Jesus has authority over every spiritual being that exists. Now he's saying that he's disarmed every enemy that you have. Not only is Jesus supreme, and in him you have victory over all of that... He also took away all the authoritative weapons of the enemy against you. The only thing that the enemy has to come at you with is deceit. Lies. And if you're willing to believe it, you'll fall for all of this other vain deceit and stuff. Doctrines of demons. One of the biggest doctrines of demons in the Christian church today, I'm going to say this clearly and plainly, one of the greatest doctrines of demons in the church today is that you're still a sinner by nature. Or that you have a dual nature. That, you're a, that you've got a black dog and a white dog. A bunch of racists coming up with that terminology. Sorry, I had to, I had to get in there. <laughs> That's racist. If you want to teach... Sorry. This is what happens when you get in detail. There's so much to unpack. So Usually what happens is I'll study, and one of these phrases stands out, and I'll just talk about that particular phrase for an hour. So there's like 90 of them in here, and I'm trying to kind of dial myself in, but anyway. You don't have a sinful nature any longer. You, the, the sin part of you that defines you as a sinner, as dead in your sin, was removed and thrown away, died. How dare you teach people that they still have a sin nature? Come on. I get angry over it because so many Christians believe that stuff. And we're willing to believe that stuff because we still have one foot in the old covenant. We're not taught who He is, what He did for us, and who we are in Him and the power and the authority that now lives in us and through us and what life is like under grace. Grace is a power in you. And the enemy has no power. He doesn't even have a weapon. He can't even hold a weapon. I love the imagery that he's about to paint here of what he did to the enemy because it's something that they would have known that kings did to each other back in this day. Having disarmed, no weapon. Like this little enemy with no thumbs and no feet and probably no teeth coming at you, can't even hold a sword. It's like the Monty Python, right? All the arms and legs. it's just a flesh wound. And he's like... You just kind of... This is what you do. You just kind of scoot around the enemy. You just walk, go around him. Just go around that lie. Say, go around. Yeah, I don't know. Having disarmed principalities and powers made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So you probably know this, but if you don't know this, it's interesting. I mean, it's probably pretty gruesome, but so when a... When a Nation or village or some type of king or ruler would conquer another region and they would bring that ruler that came against their tribe or village or nation, probably cut his thumbs off so he couldn't hold a sword anymore, knock his teeth out, cut his big toes off, throw a chain around him and drag him through the, through the winning village to show this guy that organized all of this fight against us, here he is. Imagine, like, I mean, it's pretty sick, but imagine that you're looking at it and you're like, oh, praise God, that king's done with. We don't have to worry about them anymore. That's, That's the description of what he's saying. I mean, Jesus came after him with a vengeance. Think about that. Jesus came up out of that grave, went into the heavenly holy of holies, offered his own blood in that spiritual place, a living sacrifice for us, That is the testimony of our righteousness, and then came after the enemy. Like, this isn't future. This happened. Jesus came after the enemy and wrecked him, totally embarrassed him, stripped him of all power, authority, drug him through the kingdom of heaven, and said, look, now the accuser of the brethren is gone. Where is it in Revelation it talks about that, Behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's describing the resurrection of Christ, not the future. I'm not going to go into eschatology right now, but that's what he's saying here. Made, not will make, made. Quit being afraid of the devil. A toothless, thumbless, lying, defeated, stripped of power, Blob. Ant-Man. You seen Ant-Man? <laughs> the bad guy's got that little gun and shoots the guy, and it's like a little, <clears throat> just a little pink blob fall. That, that's the devil, just a little smudge on your foot. It's kind of a gross scene, but anyway. <laughs> so, let no one judge you in food or drink. You know, it's kind of like religion is so weird <laughs> because it 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 like wants to drag you down into this arguments over right and wrong. And then when you don't use terminology in terms of legal terminology and you're like wanting to talk more about the spiritual stuff that's that not not mystical experience, but who you are in spirit, and then these people are down arguing over what day you're supposed to meet on, and let's follow the, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't know if it happened to you, but just then I felt a shift. It was like, man, I'm excited about where we are in spirit, and all of a sudden, now we're going to talk about what food you're supposed to eat or not eat, right? I, I think that's, you know, I think that's, he's just addressing, he's like, look, set your eyes on things above, or Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he's about to go, Colossians 3. Keep your mind on him, right? So, But he does address it because this was happening. So So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. All of that stuff, it points to Christ, right? In him is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as he said before. Let no one cheat you of your reward, that which you've already gained in Christ, uh, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he's not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Verse 20, Therefore, if you died with Christ... And and to me, that's a a throwback to what he said that baptism in him and then being raised with him, right? Died in Christ. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, and that's again a call to the universe, right? People talking about universe magic, universe magic. Therefore, if you died, uh, so from the basic principles of universe magic, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. He's like, what, what are you doing, arguing over this temper? It looks like, it's like he's in heaven looking back to this place, and they're arguing over these basic little things about what day and this and what you eat, and then. he's like... In my mind, and it's my kids make fun of me because I say it, it's like this is where I get frustrated with temporary construct, and it's like we're all just supposed to be naked and unashamed, running around in a garden, enjoying creation, eating stuff that just grows naturally. But that's what I feel that he's doing in here. He's painted such a beautiful picture of who we are in Christ, and he's like, what are y'all doing arguing over these basic things? It's like, come on. Don't you know this stuff's just temporary? These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now, we could camp on that for a little while, but I think the point is made that he's just like, come on, guys. And so then he jumped, and I'm not going to go in there because we'll do Colossians 3 another time. Maybe next week, I'm not sure. But then this is where he jumps into, so set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Keep that spiritual mind. And not the charismatic woo-woo church where they're all running around trying to give words to each other. I'm talking about a real place of understanding who you are in Christ. Right? There's a difference. I love those people. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's a shift of focus on experience and not a real connection with spirit. That's all I'll say. And so let me give you a little bit of homework out of this. I would encourage you, go back sometime this week, go back and read through Colossians 2, because probably as we were reading through this, there were some phrases that stuck out to you. Maybe even read it in a different translation. Uh, <clears throat> maybe find a good, oh, I found this really good Commentary and I forget the name of it. I might actually have it open in my browser. Let me see. Hang with me for just a minute. Yeah, I haven't thir- completely vetted this yet, but I, it looks pretty good. Enduringword.com. And it's a, it's a real simple commentary. Andrew Womack also has a pretty good commentary. I don't always love commentaries because a lot of times it's bad theology that's <laughs> it's like built into the, the commentary. A commentary is different from a lexicon or a a dictionary that helps you understand the words that unpack the meaning. A commentary is just that. Somebody comments on what's said here. This particular commentary I used in in studying this, although the only thing that it really brought out different was the mystery religions that they were experiencing. You know, that was mentioned in there. But what I liked about what this guy did in EnduringWord.com, probably going to send him an offering just because it is a good tool, but he um, pulled a couple of other commentaries together, right? So he picked, <coughs> excuse me, picked out some things from other commentaries in addition to some of his own stuff. And, it, you know, it can mean so if, you're, if you're reading something and you feel like there's a historical reference or you're wanting to know a little bit more about the, the, the culture that's being addressed in that particular passage and phrase— that's when, you, when you'd want to go to a commentary because they'll explain to you, well, in this region, this was prevalent, and they were thinking and dealing with this, and you, you gain some insight in why it was written that way, uh, especially in, in 1 John. But anyway, aside from that, your homework would be this. Go back through Colossians 2, and, and really I would just say 1 and 2, and there's only four chapters in the whole book. Might as well just read the whole thing this week. Um, but I would say, it, you know, I, so let me, let me kind of flip for just a minute and we're going long, but that's all right. I, I want to, I want to lead and minister in such a way and, and organize our church and organize ministry for those that are local in this body and people that are not local in such a way where, you know, you can engage this ministry, this church and and walk away with substance to which to discipline your life with as a Jesus follower. In other words, making disciples, right? I want this place to be not just a place that you come to and you hear, you know, I'm thinking of common things that people say about our ministry and how I communicate. They appreciate the non-religious terminology. I don't know that that happens. I guess apparently I don't use religious terminology. I, I guess that's the case, but I hear that a lot. You know, I don't want people to just watch these messages and come to this church just because we have friends here and because, you know, you guys like that I don't talk like your old pastor. Uh, I I want it to be a place where you, you engage beyond the moments that we meet for the purpose of discipleship in your own life, that you take these things away, that God either has you here or you like it here, or whatever it is. But it's more than just I like the people, and I like the worship, and I like the message. I want it to go home with you. I want it to go into your homes. I want it to go into your families. I want it to go into your communities. You know. And so, I want to always try to have a practical element where you where you can take it and assimilate it and make sense to you, and it's valuable for you personally, for the purpose of you duplicating it out into your family and job and community and ministry, right? So when I say homework, I, you know, it's not really a joke to me. The, the homework is what I'm describing to you, what I did to prepare for the message, pretty much essentially. And you can take it or leave it. And I'm not going to create a sense of obligation or write a program around it where you have to engage in it to be a productive member of this church. That's not the point. You're, you are at liberty to be as personally responsible on your own. But I will say this. If God has placed you somewhere, it's to your benefit to engage at the level where you're really getting as much out of that as you can, right? I mean, you don't want to throw a half-eaten steak out. There's a lot of meat on that bone, you know? You might get half the steak here, but the rest of the steak is going home and putting this into practice, disciplining our lives. Not on me or my teaching, but what the Holy Spirit shows you out of this. And so I make suggestions in terms of you should try this. Give this a try. Go do this. But then always be willing to let the Holy Spirit arrest the process and take you where He wants you to go. That is my greatest hope and desire as a minister, that I do what I do, and it compels you toward the Holy Spirit, and then you go off on your own dance. It's like we're dancing, and he steps in and says, May I cut in? And then he takes you. And you going over here and man, it's like, whew. yes, praise God. So your dance with the Holy Spirit this week, I recommend go back through Colossians 1 and 2. I would even say go back and watch the first message in this series if you haven't. It's on the Forward Church YouTube, um, How to Receive Revelation. And I called it that because... You know, this is how you engage the Word. I explained that at the beginning of this message. And go through it. Again, reading it to speak it back to someone else conceptually in your own words. If you use exact phrasing or you memorize it and you speak it back, that's fine. But more than anything, what I want is as you engage the Word, you're reading it with the eyes, your physical eyes, but then you also drop down where you read it with your spiritual eyes. And there's a perception there deeper. And I don't mean this is what he means by this, right? Because a lot of times that's what I think we, we hear. This is what it really means. This is what this scripture really means. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about it's not just words. It's not just the concept. It's actually a living spiritual ingredient that is part of your nourishment that you live from. Like you can probably, if you're familiar with this ministry, you're familiar with my messages, you read Colossians, you're going to hear a lot of those concepts all the time because that book is just something that's ingrained within me to teach from. I always go back to it. And I pray that those things get installed for you as well. I pray that we really engage him at a level of discipleship that we're Jesus followers because the world is out there. They don't have a clue who they are. They don't really know who God is, and we get to show them. And the more you understand who Christ is and who you are in Him, you just naturally live in such a way where it's displayed. And I mean, I can feel, I can feel the momentum rising in this community. I, I, I kind of even feel there's momentum in the body of Christ. I think that's probably why there's such an attack against the world in general because, because you know the spirit of god is seeking to really you know and i almost i don't particularly love the word but revival right i mean it's not revival it's growth you know when people talk about revival it's like something's been lost and we got to bring something back it's like no to me it's just continual growth the kingdom of god is growing and increasing to the increase of that kingdom there will be no end no matter what the stuff on top of the fruit looks like temporarily like the kingdom of God is a garden growing into this earth. And we focus on this thing over here. It's like, I'm going, I'm just like making, I'm just kind of rambling now on her. But I, re, I mean, I, I feel it. I really believe it. I, I want us to walk out with a hopeful expectation, a sense of obligation in terms of I want to read the word and it become alive to me. Because I really feel like part of discipleship is that you get in the word but not where you feel like, oh, i got to wake up and read the Bible today. It's like, I can't wait to see what happens today in this thing. I'm going to go into it. <clears throat> even if you just read the one chapter. Amen? Well, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I mean, I just, I just feel a sense, and those of us sitting here and watching, watching and listening, you just make a commitment to the Lord that you will prepare your heart to be led by him. You know, here's the beauty. You don't have to even understand all the details of that. You're just willing to submit to him and be led by him. Just tell him that in your own words. I am clay in your hands. I trust you. I don't want the stuff that I want. I want what you want. I want even my desires to change. I want even the stuff that I get distracted by in this earth to just lose power. I want to give myself wholeheartedly to you. I just want to be led by you, Lord. I want to be led by you. I'm committed to that. I will make the adjustments. I will make those hard decisions. I will stay engaged with your spirit and your word. <clears throat> I will make those choices when I see. I will apply that inspiration and revelation as it comes alive to me. I will build my life around your wisdom the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ are my life. Oh, my life built upon you. That's your prayer. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this heart journey. Visit my website at clintbiers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.